Okay, good evening, everyone. Thank you. It's great to see you tonight. I am impressed that you are here. Rainy day in between Parents Weekend and Reading Days. I'm very impressed that you are here. I'm really thankful that you're here, too, because I think even on short, uh, tight weeks, we need need to be together. We need to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. Uh, also, I just want to add my thanks to those who came over for brunch on, uh, on Saturday this weekend. really fun to get to meet your families and be with you guys, so thank you for that. We're going to continue our series that we're doing in the book of Colossians that we're calling Jesus is Enough. Uh, we're asking variations of the same question really, really every week. We've talked about how Jesus is enough for our story, how he's enough to make us thankful, how he's enough for our allegiance. And tonight we're going we're gonna to see that Jesus is enough for our glory. He's enough for our... Glory. So with that in mind, I'm going I'm to go ahead and read the text. It's printed on the back of your handout if you don't have your Bible with you. It's Colossians 1, 24 to 29. We have made it. We are making it through Colossians 1. We did it. <clears throat> Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Let me pray and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for this night, thankful for a chance to get together together. And Lord, you know us and you know what's going on in our hearts and you know the ways that we need to be encouraged. And I pray that you would meet us in those places, that your spirit would be at work through your word right now so that we might know you more and love you more and love one another. Pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So you guys know me by now. You know I usually start with a funny story, but I want to I start with, with a little more uh, difficult of a question tonight, okay? Uh, and I want to ask you about your fears. And, I, and I, my question is this. Uh, to think of right now, what is the time you've been most afraid in your life? <laughs> What is the time you've been most afraid in your life? I was thinking about this question today, and the, the thing that popped into my head is something that happened when I was 16, so almost 20 years ago now, 18 years ago. I was driving home from school on North Shore Drive in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I'm from, and uh, I was driving in my pretty awesome Nissan Xterra, silver stick shift. Cool, you know. And... Um, and in front of me is a, um, like a smaller SUV, kind of like a RAV4-sized car. And this, this car has got its left blinker on, and it's starting to turn left. I sort of break because I know it's turning left, and I got distracted. And I looked away. And this, this car uh, realized, I guess, at the last minute that that was a wrong turn. And so instead of turning it without moving, kind of stick sort of back into the lane. And I, and I looked up in time to see my car smash into the back of this small SUV in front of me. And because, of it, because it was partially turned, it, it pushed the car sideways into, uh, towards, towards the street of this uh, new neighborhood. And the car hit one of those uh, brick pillars 
that marks the beginnings of a, of a neighborhood street. And it's, you know, it's about uh, four feet by four feet, maybe three feet by three feet, and then on top um, is this solid concrete block. And I watched this car smash straight into the bricks, and I watched the concrete block slide right through the windshield of this car. And um, uh, it's hard to remember exactly what I was thinking. I remember that I couldn't hear anything, and I think I was probably in shock. And I remember uh, running towards this car. And that's the most scared I've ever been, because I thought in that moment, there's, there's no way that this person is alive. And, and, as I, and as I ran, this miracle happened, and the door opened, and this uh, woman who's probably, I don't know, maybe in her 20s, uh, very, very shaken up, but totally unharmed, uh, kind of stumbles out of the car. The, the, the block had, she must have leaned over, and the block had just missed, missed her head, and she was fine. Praise the Lord. But, but in that moment, I was just was filled with fear. I was filled with that tight feeling in your chest and that elevated blood pressure and heartbeat and that uh, pain of knowing, uh, of asking this question, like, what if what I think happened actually happened? You know that feeling? Like, what if I just killed somebody? What if I just failed this? What if I'm about to be rejected? What if I'm going to be alone in this? What if no one's going to understand me? And I think that at the root of fear is that question, what if? And, and we spend a lot of our time trying to uh, flee those feelings, trying to create things in our life that will bring us away from fear, towards comfort, towards pleasure, towards ease, towards success, towards victory. Uh, and, and the way that we do this, it, and really the word that I think is the only word for it, is that we're actually seeking out glory. I actually think that glory is the opposite of fear. Glory is that sense of uh, being great, being lifted up, being powerful, being admired. It's, it's this exultation inside of you that you may have felt at certain times in your life. It's a feeling which banishes fears. There's actually no room for fear in the midst of glory. And so what we do in our lives is that we chase after that feeling. We chase after glory for ourselves. We chase after that experience of being high and lifted up and above all our fears. Running away from situations that might bring us fear. And, and according to the Bible, that feeling of glory is actually good. And according to the Bible, that feeling of glory is actually something that you and I are meant for. But the way that we experience it is very different because we're meant to experience glory in Jesus, in Christ himself. And so what we're going to do in, in light of people who have fears and who are chasing after glory, we're going to take a look in this passage at the life of Jesus and Paul's words and say, what, what is going on with glory? And I want to I look at just three things here about glory, okay? The pathway to glory, the promise of glory, and the people of glory, okay? You with me? The pathway, the promise, and the people of glory. So first, the, the pathway to glory. So what I really mean here is, uh, how do we achieve, how do we achieve it? How do we get to that feeling? that sense of exaltation and greatness and power and being high and lifted up, that, that feeling that removes all our fears from us, okay? I want to look at what Paul says here because he starts off by saying some pretty crazy things. The first thing he says is, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Strike one. Who likes suffering? Suffering stinks. Suffering is terrible. Suffering is awful. And Paul says that he is 
happy about it, okay? And then the second thing he says is that he is filling up, in his affliction, he is filling up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. He is filling up in his own body what is lacking. It it makes it sound like what Jesus did, what he suffered, his death on the cross was insufficient. It was inadequate. And so Paul is filling in the gaps there, okay? Now, I I hope if you hear anything from me uh, tonight and this this whole semester, it will become clear that that cannot be the whole point of Colossians is that Jesus is enough. That what Jesus has done and who Jesus is is actually completely adequate, completely sufficient for us, okay? But what Paul's getting at here is that there's this deep connection between our own experience and Jesus's experience, between our life and Jesus's life, and therefore between our suffering and the suffering of Jesus. What, what Christians believe, I know not everyone who comes to RAF is a Christian, what Christians believe is that if you have faith in Christ, that you are actually united to him. Do you actually have this mysterious, intimate connection and oneness with Jesus where he says, I belong to you and you belong to me? Where he says, I am in you and you are in me. This oneness, this union, this is the thing that marriage is the closest picture of that we have of two becoming one. That, that's what our relationship with Jesus is like. And so what Paul is saying is that when you suffer, when you experience hardship and pain, that is actually not only following in the footsteps of Jesus who suffered, but it's actually participating in his very life. He's saying, Jesus, when he was on this world, he suffered. And since I am connected to him, my own suffering is a continuation, is an extension of his ministry of suffering. And I really think that's why he says he can have joy. He's having a shared experience with his Savior. Jesus, what you have gone through is now what I am going through. Jesus, what I am doing is a continuation of your suffering, which leads to life and healing and love and forgiveness and goodness and all these things. And Jesus, we got to remember, Jesus, Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. Jesus suffered. He was born into squalor, a lowly manger, a trough. For his whole ministry, he traveled around homeless and poor, constantly misunderstood, constantly rejected, with people begging him to leave their towns. This is a man who, even though he had done nothing wrong, was betrayed by one of his best friends, was arrested and tortured and murdered on the cross, even though he had done nothing wrong. Jesus is well acquainted with suffering. And so it begs the question, why would, Jesus, why would Jesus endure that? Why would Jesus do that? And we actually get the answer to that exact question in Hebrews 12, which is a little later on in your Bibles from Colossians. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross, and listen to this, he endured it for the joy that was set before him. He actually endured this suffering for the joy set before him. It means he endured this suffering because he knew that what was coming next was glory. And what we can lose sight of, even as people who follow Jesus, is that right now, right now, Jesus is in glory. That Jesus did not stay dead. He did not stay in the tomb. He was lifted up into life, and then he was lifted up into heaven. And he is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven, and angels are flying before him, and they are shouting out with their voices, glory to the Father and to the Lamb who was slain. 
Jesus is in glory. And his pathway to glory, Paul says, is suffering. And Paul knows a little bit about suffering, too. This is a guy who was shipwrecked twice, who was hated by everyone. He was hated by the Pharisees, who he used to be, and he was hated at first by the Christians because they didn't understand what was going on with this guy who used to persecute them. He was arrested many times. He was beaten many times. He knows all about suffering, and he can say, I rejoice in my sufferings. We, uh, we don't like to suffer. We don't like it, right? Uh, we live in a live-your-best-life-now culture. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want health and prosperity and success and money and fame. I want glory, and I want it now. And the path of Jesus is to say, uh, actually, glory is in store for you. That there's actually a day coming when you will be welcomed to that celebration of the Lamb, that you will actually be a part of that kind of scene of glory but the pathway to it, Paul says, is to follow Christ who, who suffered. And uh, it's important to say here, I think that this kind of idea can be applied to any kind of suffering, any kind of hardship. But Paul says in this passage, he's talking about suffering for the sake of his body that is the church. He's talking about suffering for the sake of ministry in the name of Jesus. He's talking about the kind of suffering that happens when we publicly claim Jesus as our Lord. He's talking about the kind of suffering that's the cost, the price you pay when you are committed to following in Jesus' ways instead of following in the ways of the people around you. That's the kind of suffering he's talking about here. The way people will treat you, the way people will look at you, the way people will include or exclude you when they become aware that your allegiance is to Christ. That's actually what Paul's talking about. So suffering actually feels like the path away from comfort but it's actually the path to glory because that's what happened to Jesus. We're going we're gonna to do something right now that we don't usually do at RUF, okay? Uh, and it might make you feel a little uncomfortable and a little weird, and we're going to risk that, okay? What we're actually going to do is um, we're going to create a time right now in the middle of my sermon uh, where you're going to get a chance to stop and talk with your friends that you came with about some of these questions that we're talking about at RUF, Okay? So let me tell you what's going to happen, and let me tell you why it's going to happen. In just a second, um, Abby is going to put up a six-minute timer and a question on this, on this wall, okay? And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to group up with no less than three and no more than four people around you. Another way to say that would be three to four people around you, okay? <laughs> no less than three and no more than four people around you. And I want to give you six minutes to discuss uh, a question. And the question that I'm going to ask is a really, really hard question. We're asking this question for, for a couple reasons. The, the first reason is that we, um, we really want RUF to be, to be the kind of place where you can come with difficult questions. We really want RUF to be the kind of place where you can come with different viewpoints. We don't want to presume that everyone who comes to RUF believes the same thing or that what I say you just accept blindly, right? We really want RUF to be the kind of place where you can come with doubts and concerns and confusion. And then we want to say, yeah, that's okay. We're, we're actually all in that, in that boat together, okay? Um, so if you, you each have different stories from each other. You have different backgrounds. You have different viewpoints. You have different experiences. So we're going we're gonna to do this thing together. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just trying to tell you why we're, why we're doing this. Okay? Here's, here's the question. Okay? Paul says that he rejoices in his sufferings. Okay? And then Jesus says in John 10 that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. So my question is this. If Jesus came to give us abundant life, how can suffering 
be good, okay? There's the last thing I'll say. Six minutes is a really insufficient and inadequate amount of time to answer this question. Some of you don't really want to talk about this right now and you're just gonna talk about something else. That's, I can't stop you, okay? Um, some of you are gonna be really mad at me in six minutes when I tell you, hey, stop and listen to me again for another 14 minutes, which is what I'm gonna do, okay? Um, the, the hope is for this to spur further conversations and further thoughts and further reflections that you can go and continue, perhaps over some cookies and chips after RUF, see the back, okay? So what's gonna happen is, uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna start this six minute timer, okay? Uh, you only have six minutes. Please, I'm gonna get on that little microphone and I'm gonna say, all right guys, we're coming back together now, and then like, will you please stop talking and listen to me then? Is that, is that cool? Okay, the question's on the board, on your mark, get set. You have six minutes. According to, according to the Bible and according to the life of Jesus, the pathway, the pathway to glory, to the goodness that is in store for us, is actually, is actually suffering. The second thing that I want to point to tonight as we, look, as we jump back into our text is the, is the promise of glory. What is the content of this glory that is promised to us? Paul, Paul goes on to, sit, to kind of start talking about his calling, to make the word of God fully known. He, he says at the end, that like this is what he toils at. This is what he works at with all the energy that God is powerfully working within him. And he uses this word mystery here. Uh, and, and when you hear mystery, uh, you shouldn't think in the Bible of some kind of spooky, foggy thing. Rather, you should think of something that's hidden, something that's secret, that God has something that has been hidden and that has been revealed little by little over the story of, of the world, and that is now in Christ, the doors are being blown open. And now it's being made fully, fully known again. And, and here's what it is. It's in, in verse 27, he says, he said that God is revealing the glory of this mystery, which is this. He says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and the you here, uh, as it usually is in the New Testament, is a you plural. It's a y'all, as we say in East Tennessee. Christ in y'all, okay? What he's saying is that amongst God's people, that's us, Christ is here. That amongst us, amongst his people, Jesus is, is present. This sense of wonder and exaltation and power that takes away our fears and anxiety, it actually comes through the nearness of Jesus to us. That's why Paul can say later on in Colossians, he says that when Christ who is your glory appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That we actually experience glory because Jesus shares his glory with us. Okay? Now I want to keep working on this connection between, between fear and glory. Do, do you, does anyone know in here what the most common command in the Bible is? We know it, right? The thing that is commanded most often in the Bible to God's people, the thing that he tells us to do most often is to not be afraid. To fear not. Do not fear. That's actually the thing that he tells us most often. And, and do you know what the answer is? The reason that he always gives why we shouldn't fear? What is it? I will be with you is always the reason. And, and we see this. We see this all throughout the scriptures. This is what God says to Abraham in Genesis 15. It's what he says to Isaac in Genesis 26. Don't be afraid, I will be with you. This is what he says to God's people all the time in places like Numbers when they're getting ready to go into battle. He says, you don't have to be afraid, I will be with you. 
This is what David prays in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is what Jeremiah and Isaiah the prophets tell to a people whose lives and world are in chaos. Don't be afraid. I am with you. My, my favorite version of this is from the Gospel of Luke. In the, in the account of the birth of Jesus, that shepherds are out tending their flocks by night, and a heavenly host appears above them. Angels in glory appear around them. And what are they? They're afraid. And what do the angels say? Don't be afraid. Why? Because unto you is born this night in the city of David a Savior. Why don't you have to be afraid? God has come to live with you. God has come to make his life with you. That is our experience of glory. That's the promise of glory right now is that you actually don't have to be afraid because Christ is with you. Christ is with you in your struggles with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Christ is with you as you look at your GPA not being what you want it to be to get into the grad schools that you want. Christ is with you as you're waiting to hear back about a second interview that's not coming. Christ is with you as you're wondering what is going to happen during rush. Christ is with you. As you come off the anxiety and weird pressure and tension of having your mom and your dad here in your campus, Christ is with you. That is your comfort. That is your hope. That is your glory. That the presence of God, like we, like we sang, the presence of God with you is the, actually the only thing that can take away your fears. Jesus has come to make his life with you. That's the promise of glory. The pathway, the promise. Lastly, the people of glory. Who is this glory for? This Christ in you presence that takes away your fears, the path to which is suffering, who is it for? And the short answer is, who's it for? It's for, it's for everyone. That's part of the greatness of this mystery, is that God said it's been revealed to the Gentiles. When, when you read Gentiles in the Bible, think that's us. Think that's you and me. As you, as you look at the story of God, he's, he's been in the business of bringing truth and beauty and goodness into the world. That's, that's what he does. And he always has done this through people. Always. He does it through people. We, we see this in Genesis 12 when a, a man named Abram is called by God. He changes his name to Abraham. And he tells this old man who is, he and his wife have no children that he's actually going to have a son, and he's actually going to have many descendants. And he says that through you and your family, all the families of the world will be blessed. This is the beginning of the people of God. Through you and your family, all the, all the people of the world will be, will be blessed. Abraham has a son named Isaac. He has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And these 12 sons have lots of kids, and as generations go by, this is the, this is the group of people that's growing in Israel, that eventually God is going to lead them out by parting the Red Sea and the plagues. This, this people, this family is growing into a nation called Israel. And that's their job. That's their job description. That I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'll be bringing my grace and my love and my goodness to the world through you as a people. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus says, in me, that people is now blown up. It's, it's this flower that was closed, and now it has blossomed. Now it's open, and it includes everybody who believes. Everyone who has faith, everyone who follows, that's who it's for. It's actually, 
for everybody. That, that's what is crazy. Look, look at verse 28 on your, on your handout. Him we proclaim warning who? Everyone. And teaching who? Everyone with all wisdom that we may present who? Everyone mature in Christ. What do you think is the emphasis in that, in that verse? Three times it says everyone. This hope of glory is actually for everyone. This is really important because one of the things that people misunderstand about Christianity, and in fact, one of the things that people hate about Christianity, and in fact, one of the things that Christians themselves can feel embarrassed about, is that Christianity is too exclusive. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, that feeling that it's kind of about us and them, and we have this thing, and you kind of like have to like come on board. We feel like Christianity is exclusive, and you can't be exclusive in our culture anymore. It's the one great sin to judge others, right? What we have to wrap our minds around is that Christianity is not exclusive, but it's costly. The Christian faith is not exclusive. It's actually the only religion that's for everyone. That's explicit in its mission is that it's supposed to go to the ends of the world. Do you know that no other religion has that? It's for everyone, but there's a cost. The cost is you have to humble yourself to follow Jesus who died to save you. The cost is you have to humble yourself to listen and to obey his way of life instead of seeking out glory on your own. The cost is that instead of saying, I'm going to seek out my own greatness through my grades, through my relationships, through my money, through my job, through my position, through my social situation, the cost is we, we lay it down and we say, no, we're going to actually find our glory in the nearness of Christ no matter what. The people of glory is everyone. Christianity is not exclusive, but it is costly. You'll hear me talk about Harry Potter a lot this semester because I'm reading Harry Potter with my daughter. And we, we have now finished Harry Potter 2, the, uh, the Chamber of Secrets. And in Harry Potter 2, Harry and his best friend Ron are, uh, go, to, go to King's Cross Station in London to take the Hogwarts Express, the train, back to the castle. And the deal is it's on platform nine and three quarters. And to get there, there's this, it looks like a wall, but it's actually magic. And you can pass through it to a station that, to a platform no one else can see, no muggles can see. And um, everyone is taking turns kind of slipping through this magic doorway on the platform nine and three quarters. And Harry and Ron push, ooh, Harry and Ron uh, push, their, push their carts and their luggage and they get to the wall and they just slam into the wall and they can't get through. And they don't know what to do. And then they have this genius idea. We'll just take my dad's flying car and we'll fly ourselves through the countryside. And it's going to be epic and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to coast on the front lawn of Hogwarts in front of the Great Hall. And everyone's going to come out and cheer and think we are just awesome. And, and the problem is that as they get close to, the, close to the castle, the car starts to lose its magic juice. It starts to lose power and they start to lose control. They almost fall into the lake, and they manage, instead of landing in front of everyone to see, they, they crash land into the Whomping Willow, which you don't find out about until book three. I won't spoil it for you, but it's a tree that's alive and tries to kill anybody that's within the reach of its branches, okay? And so this tree is bashing in their car, and they barely escape with their lives. They get discovered by Severus Snape, who hates them, who wants to expel them, and they get in all this trouble. No one even sees what they did, Muggles saw it over, over Bristol, and they get in all this trouble, right? This thing that they were doing to seek their own glory ends up in a crash landing. It ends up in humiliation. 
it ends up with bad consequences. And guys, that's what's going to happen when we seek our own glory. It tends to, it tends to end in a crash landing. It tends to land in failure. It tends to land in rejection. It tends to land in disappointment. Or worst case scenario, the thing we're chasing after to give us our own greatness, our own glory, worst case scenario, we get it. We get the boy. We get the job. We get the bid. We, we might actually get it. And we become addicted to this sense of needing more and more because none of these things actually will bring the glory, the fullness, the wonder, the awesomeness that you long for. And the beauty of the gospel for you and me is that when we crash land, when we hit the ground, when we realize that our efforts are leading to nothing but chaos and pain, Jesus picks us up. He says, I love you and I am with you. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this night. Thank you for the conversations that we got to have. Thank you for the gift of your presence with us. And Lord, I pray that as we face fears, and Lord, you know us and you know our story and you know that we are facing fears, that you would give us the courage and the faith to resist being the savior of our own stories and chasing after glory on our own. And you would give us the gift of humility to follow you to follow you even when the cost of that is that we will suffer so that we might experience the glory now that you are with us and that we will be welcomed into the wedding banquet of the Lamb in glory forever. Jesus, we praise you for that in your name. Amen.